0: This is The Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. The topic of today's podcast is you can't be just a little science of reading. Now, a warning. Today's podcast contains snarky remarks and sarcastic statements. It may not be suitable for all listeners. Let's start with a little story. Once upon a time, I was at a meeting with a group of professors in education from a variety of different teacher preparation programs here in Minnesota. And I'm sure this similar story has been played out in many different states. The topic turned to reading instruction. In particular, the READ Act. Now this is a bill going through our state legislature that will force schools to buy only that curriculum that is science of reading approved and note that some publishing companies are going to make lots of money here now at this meeting i dis- i expressed my displeasure for this bill and i explained to them quite carefully how it would negatively impact struggling readers high-ability readers, students of color, practicing teachers, and pre-service teachers. In fact, it would impede our ability to help all students reach their full literacy potential. And at the same time, it would waste $100 million that could instead be used to actually help children, actually help children develop their ability to read and write. Well, there was silence. And then somebody spoke up and said, there are differing opinions on that in this room. That's fine, I said. But for the record, I don't give my opinions. I provide research-based perspectives. Now, I'm a professor of literacy at Minnesota State University here in Mankato, It's a state university. The state of Minnesota doesn't pay me to have opinions. I'm paid by the state of Minnesota, taxpayers, to be an expert in literacy instruction so that I can use this expertise to prepare teachers and help in the professional development of teachers. Now, I've spent 30 years developing this expertise. And this has included extensive reading, scholarly work, research, writing, interaction with teachers in schools, and tutoring kids. Yet, after listening to an Emily Hanford podcast, some state lawmakers and others feel like they are now literacy experts. Imagine that. They know best how reading should be taught in Minnesota schools. They know best how I should prepare teachers to teach reading. Oh, I await your wisdom, you fine lawmakers. Please tell me, guide me, I beseech you. Oh, that I could someday listen to an Emily Hanford podcast so that I too might become a literacy expert. And to think how I wasted five years... Working on a PhD at the University of Minnesota when I could have instead listened to an Emily Hanford podcast. Oh my goodness. These wannabe experts like Emily Hanford have come to a very firm conclusion about what reading instruction is and should be. Imagine that. Well, at this meeting, another professor spoke up and said, I support the Science of Reading Read Act, this professor said. My daughter is a sophomore in high school and she can't read. She doesn't know how to decode words. Teachers are telling me that they don't know how to teach reading. Schools are telling us that we aren't preparing our teachers to teach reading. Okay, very fine. Now, one should lose one's professor license, if there were such a thing, for making statements like this. If you're going to embrace the science of reading, you can't be just a little bit science of reading. You can't be partial science of reading. You can't be somewhat science of reading. You can't be semi-science of reading. If you are going to be a science of reading advocate you must embrace and apply science of reading principles completely and consistently. In other words, if you are for the science of reading and support the READ Act here in Minnesota, then you would use the same science of reading principles to identify the reading problem, the cause of reading problems, and the possible solution to reading problems. But you don't. If you are for the science of reading, then you should understand what research is, how it's interpreted and used, as well as the limitations of research. You should understand the difference between research and data. You should understand the difference between research and perception, personal experience, anecdotal evidence and I think If you are for the science of reading, you should understand the importance of being critical and responsible consumers of educational research. And if you are really for the science of reading, you will know that conclusions should not be made based on a single study or a few studies. Rather, a wide range of studies. So let's unpack that professor's statements in four parts. And this statement perfectly illustrates the clownerous thinking related to the alleged science of reading. Number one, identify the cause. Okay, your daughter has trouble reading. She can't decode, you say. And I I see, so you have determined that of all the possible variables impacting her acquisition of reading, that the cause was a lack of decoding instruction, or the wrong kind of decoding instruction, or not enough decoding instruction. You've determined that of all the variables, this is the causal factor. And what's more, you've determined that if this is the causal factor for your daughter, then it must be the causal factor for all struggling readers in Minnesota. Okay, well and good, but this certainly is not very science Number two, solution. You've also found the solution. More decoding instruction out of all the elements that make up good evidence-based reading instruction, you have decided, based on your daughter's experience and what people are telling you, that more decoding instruction is the solution. It's the solution not only for your daughter, but for all students. You're generalizing to an entire population based on a study of one. Okay, that's fine, but again, it's not very sciencey. As well, you're ignoring the years of research findings of groups like the International Literacy Association and the National Council of Teachers of English. You have defined both the cause and the solution to everybody's reading problems. Well, you certainly are special, but that's not very science The third one is anecdotal evidence. A lot of parents are telling me, you say, that their kids are struggling with reading, you say. They don't know how to decode, you say. And again, I see your point, but this is anecdotal evidence. People are giving you anecdotes, and you are coming to conclusion Based on anecdotes. Now, what if this kind of thinking were used in medicine? You would say, Oh, a lot of people are getting sick in the winter and they've never had leeches put on them. We need to start putting leeches on people. I knew some people who used leeches and they didn't get sick. And my friends are telling me that they used leeches and when they got sick after two months, they were better. Doctors aren't being trained in how to put leeches on people. We need to mandate leech instruction in our medical schools. We need to pass a law that doctors need to use leech methods. I know this because I heard this on an Emily Hanford podcast. Number four, the problem. There's a crisis in reading, they say. Everybody's failing, they say. The sky is falling, they say. Okay, show me some valid data. This is a basic reading science principle. Conclusions about things should be made based on valid and reliable data. Now, if you look at some valid data for reading achievement collected over time, like the U.S. Department's National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP, you'll find that there will be a normal fluctuation in scores in the short term. This is what's called normal. But over time, reading scores have risen slightly since 1972. Now, here in Minnesota, they claimed that our students were reading below grade level average. Well, of course, if you use norm reference tests, 50% of students are going to be below the mean. That's called a normal population. But in fact, Minnesota was consistently above the national average. So how could they all be reading below grade level? As well, criterion reference tests are often used, but these are not good to use to show change over time when the test content, criterion levels are all arbitrarily defined and the tests change from year to year. Now, at this meeting of professors of education, I brought up the shortcomings of using personal experience and anecdotal evidence to come to conclusions and to make decisions. Well, another professor informed me that qualitative research certainly uses interviews and surveys and observations and personal experiences so they should not be discounted. And I sighed. Now I could have said that universities are doing a poor job of preparing education professors but this would be a conclusion based on anecdotal evidence. So I didn't. They should know. Research is different from collecting data. Research is not research unless it has been subjected to blind peer review and published in an academic journal or some other reputable source. And again, you can't be just a little sciency. If you are a staunch science of reading advocate, you should know that it excludes the use of qualitative research to identify effective reading instruction. If you are a real science of reading advocate, then you would use the same principles to identify effective reading instruction to determine problems, causes, and solutions. Now, I could live with the science of reading or reading science if those advocates would do this, if they were consistent with their use of reading science principles. But they're not. Again, you can't be just a little sciency. Anecdotal evidence, personal accounts, I-thinkisms, and data collected out of context, not subject to blind peer review, should not be used to make policy or program decisions. They should not be used to come to conclusions about something as big and important as reading instruction in the state of Minnesota. That's just not good science. As a matter of fact, it's not science at all. It's ideology. Now, a basic principle of science is this. You can't generalize to a whole group based on the experience of a small group. You can't come to conclusions about large groups based on personal experiences and anecdotal evidence. So what? is reading science. Timothy Shanahan was a member of the National Reading Panel, and that group published the National Reading Panel Report. Now, I don't always agree with Dr. Shanahan. However, in a recent RRQ article, he did a very good job of defining and describing research science or the science of reading. And I paraphrase what he said. He said it so wonderfully. There are two types of science, basic science and applied science. Basic science is that which is done outside the context in which it's used or applied. It adds important data to theories that are in turn used to understand phenomena. In reading, basic science would include research related to brain imaging, eye movement, miscue analysis, priming studies, among other things. This type of research is done apart from reading instruction in a classroom. However, this kind of research is important in building robust theories. Robust theories include a lot of research data, Weak theories leave a lot of research data unaccounted for. All right, that's basic science. Applied science is that which is applied in the setting in which it will be used and for the purpose for which it will be used. In reading, these would be strategies and methods examined in actual classrooms with real students. Now, there is no singular scientific method. Rather, there are methods of science. There are a variety of methodologies used to examine the world in which we live. In reading instruction, there are a variety of methods used to ask and answer questions related to reading instruction. The questions you impact impact the methods you use. However, If you are limited to only a certain type of method, you can only ask certain types of questions that are answerable by that method. Hence, the exclusive reliance on one type of research severely limits the types of questions asked and the data collected and how that data are interpreted. Now, as the science of reading defines reading science, the only research method that should be used to identify effective reading instruction is controlled experimental research. This is where you have a control group and an experimental group. Everything is the same about the two groups except for the one treatment variable you wish to examine. And at the end of the experiment, if there is a measurable difference between the two groups and if that difference is statistically significant, then you can say with some degree of confidence that the treatment variable led to the difference. This is the only kind of research that can be used to determine what's effective according to the science of reading. Reading science, then, is that which uses controlled experimental research in authentic learning environments to determine which methods, strategies, approaches, or pedagogy are effective for reading instruction. Now, while I think this provides a very narrow view, I could live with it if these same science principles were correctly and consistently applied. But they're not. There is a certain amount of ignorance related to reading, reading research, science, and reading science. This is mixed with a dangerous combination of ideology and I-thinkisms. So you have the three I's, ignorance, ideology, and I-thinkisms. And where these three overlap, you have clownery. So we are left to conclude that the science of reading is understood and promoting promoted by some here in Minnesota is clownery. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host as always, Dr. Andy Johnson.